Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm fantastic, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. But I am going to, I'm going to throw something out here for you real quick. Okay. Uh-oh. Oh, now calm down. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that all the comparisons between Tiger and Jack are kind of like comparing apples and oranges. Ooh, why? That's just my thought. Why? They played at different times under different course conditions, under different equipment. Um, you know, Tiger took it to a different level with his, uh, exercise res- regimen and, you know, there's, there's so many variables and trying to compare the two. I mean, if you, if it's kind of like trying to compare really classic cars and I'm not even a car guy, but you know, if you went back and tried to, uh, compare the first model of the Mustang, which is now highly thought of and all that stuff, and then try to compare it to uh the latest Porsche Carrera or something. I mean, you know, they're just different. They're just different. That's the way I look at it. Uh I'm an unabashed Tiger fan. When I was younger, um, you know, at the age of two, I was uh always watched Jack on, you know, on the golf on the weekends and stuff. My family didn't like golf, but I did. And so I just always think that comparing the two, it's, it makes for great conversation. But I think kind of when you boil it down, they're, they're two completely different styles of play. And, um, you know, Tiger's putting prowess when he was in his prime and all that stuff. I just, I, I always get a kick out of listening to people like that. I was listening to you when I was in the green room, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, you know, I, I have I have no problem with it, but I just think, you know, if you really look at it logically, you have to say that there were two different times, two different eras, two different styles, um, you know, comparing majors records. And, of course, that's what we live for in golf is the majors. But I really think it's that's just my opinion. So and I'll get, you know, 10 million phone calls that say I'm wrong, but that's OK. <laughs> um <laughs> That's the world we live in now, especially over social media. That is very true. And I've gotten beat up a couple of times over it, but it's okay. I don't mind. They just, uh, you know, they, to me, they're just two different, completely different things. Anyway, so how are things in Georgia with you today, my friend? <laughs> they're fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, I want to go back to early on, I guess you would say, in your career. You earned your Bachelor of Science degree after attending Oregon State and Cal Poly. Pomona, and you've been in the radio industry, I think, for at least 30 years. Talk about early. Yeah. Was broadcasting always going to be the thing for you? I thought so. Um, my folks didn't. We had, uh, we had property, um, not large amounts, but we were very involved in the horse business. And my, my folks had it kind of planned. I was going to be, I was going to be a veterinarian and a world class, uh, horse guy showing and and I did a lot of that and and then a judge and all this stuff and and boy but in deep down inside I'm a big enough ham uh cured and spiral cut by the way uh that um you know it's I I always wanted to be in 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 broadcasting I always wanted to be on TV and radio and um after I decided not to be a veterinarian um uh, which is a great profession uh, but it was, I just didn't want to stay in school that long, you know, uh, cause they're very, they go through a similar process, not quite as long as doctors. But anyway, 
Uh, I got out and I did the horse thing uh, as a touring pro for a few years and then said, okay, that's enough. And um, I went back and, and started a radio show. Oh, God. Way back in, like, 1990. Uh, I had done radio in college, Chris. I, when I was in L.A., I was a morning DJ, uh, drive-time DJ on a rock college rock station there. And then, um, anyway, uh, I started a radio show called Horseman's World because I knew the topic. And it just kind of went from there. And did I've done five, I think, five or six different syndicated radio shows over the years. And um, uh, funny thing was, is I always had something about cooking in all my shows, which, you know, Barbecue Nation, of course, that's kind of, goes without saying, but uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, and I started doing television commercials, um, voicing them, and then also um, being a, a principal in them, you know, actually on camera. So I started that way back in the mid-80s. Uh, so anyway, that's how it all happened, and I just kept going. I built my own studios, and uh, I learned an awful lot. And so if anybody wants to learn what not to do in the radio business, just give me a call. <laughs> so there you go. And Jeff, you talk about, I did the horse thing. You traveled the world yes. for a while officiating yes. horse shows, right? Talk about that. Um, I actually, you have to be licensed to do that. There's a, when, when I was younger, it was called the American Horse Show Association, uh, was one of the licensing bodies. And then of course there was, uh, American Quarter Horse Association and various breed associations like that. <clears throat> and um, I got my first license when I was a junior in college. I turned 21 when I was a junior and uh, applied for it and got it and started. And then even after I got out of school and was competing, I still had my licenses. And then I didn't take me too long to figure out it was a lot easier to fly business class somewhere than it was to ride in a big truck with 10 horses. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, uh, I, kept, I kept doing that, and I worked myself up the, the ladder. I mean, you have to. You got to pay your dues and, and things in that world, just like you do in any world. And then I got very fortunate. Um, I've been to, been to Europe and the Middle East, and South America and Australia, and, of course, Canada and Mexico, and those places, worked in all those places. And... Uh, I was the first American to judge a show in uh, the Saudi Arabian National Championship years ago. So it was, uh, I, I had some really good times there. I met a lot of interesting people, got to go places that normally you wouldn't get to go, like Minot, North Dakota. That's a garden spot. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was really good to me. It really was. So, Jeff, you talked about starting to watch golf at a very early age. I think you said two years old. Talk about when you developed your love for the game. I was probably maybe somewhere between 8 and 10. Um, my brother um, had left an old set of golf clubs, and they were old. They came over on the Mayflower uh, in the garage. We called it the woodshed because all us kids spent a lot of time in the woodshed, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and... Uh, um. And they were they were just beat up, terribly beat up. But I would take the balls uh, and the clubs out in the pastures and and hit balls. Um, and you know, at that age and that stage, and they weren't 
fit for you or they weren't in very good shape and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, one out of every 50 shots actually got up in the air and, and flew somewhere. And, uh, in living where I lived, there was a limited access to golf balls. So you had to be able to go find them. Anyway, um, that kind of started it. And then there was a little nine hole course not too far from us. And so I would go up there and play. And then what, well, here's something not to do kids. If you're listening to this show, don't try it at home. Uh, if you, when you, when you get your first credit card, the first big thing I went and bought was a set of golf clubs and a really nice bag and all the stuff. And then when the bill came to the family office, I heard about it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was good, but that it, truly, and I loved watching it. You know, but those were back in the days that golf wasn't always on CBS or NBC. It was on ABC, and we didn't have cable and that. And it was what Shell's Wonderful World of Golf and and those kinds of specials. And I would watch them, and I would, you know, those for Jack and Arnold, and and um, you know, Hogan played in a few of those over the years, and and uh, Sam Snead. And, and all those folks. And so they seemed like they were very old to me, but man, did they hit that golf ball. So that's what kind of hooked me on it. And Jeff, you talked about how in your shows, food always seemed to work its way in there. Why? Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they, I, I, and for just a very semi-serious moment, in competing in all those years that I did, um, those were very long days and, and all that. And if you've ever been to, uh, you know, a fair or a horse show or a rodeo or anything like that, the food is fun, but it's not really great. And so, um, I had this affinity to cook too. And I started cooking when we were, when we would come home from traveling. And I would kind of cook, uh, and I, and it started by me watching a show called The Galloping Gourmet. And, um, that's Graham Carris, Galloping Gourmet, who's still alive and he's a good friend of mine. He lives up above Seattle now. And he was always this very funny guy. And later I learned that he probably drank a bottle and a half of wine before he went on. And that's why he was so funny, but, but he, he would make these great dishes and long story short, we had uh, my father's sister was staying with us. Her husband passed away. And so if it looked like whatever he was cooking on TV, Chris, if I thought I wanted to take a shot at it, she would write down the recipe and buy all the ingredients. And then the next day when I got home from school, I would try to cook it before I went and did my chores at the barn. You know, and so I would, I would try to do that. And that's really how, what got me interested in cooking too. And, um, that just stayed with me when, when I was in school and stuff, I, you know, and you have your college apartments and, you know, you went to school too. I mean, they're never the sharpest thing. Uh, but as long as they had a stove top or something that you could cook on, I was good to go. And so I just always did that. And then when I, I was in a movie years ago, a couple of them, but one in particular, and I thought, you know, I could, I could dig this movie stuff. <laughs> so I, I would 
not go up for lunch. I would stay down uh, at the trailer that they called craft services. If everybody knows what that is, craft services prepares the food for people on when they're shooting TV shows or movies or whatever. And I would hang out with those guys. I would hide from our crew commander and they'd all get on the bus and go up the hill and, and go eat wherever they took them up to the tents or something. And I would stay down below and I would make sandwiches for the crew or cook them lunch. And while I was doing that, one guy said to me, he goes, man, you should have a cooking show. And so I was like, yeah, why not? I could do this. And so I put together a, a budget and we got some money and I filmed the pilot. And that's another whole long story. Uh, the show didn't go anywhere. They wanted the show, but they didn't want me. Um, so I kept the handle, the cowboy cook, and I've been that ever since. Um, and, uh, we do, you know, we do barbecue nation, but in the horse shows, I always had the, the, you know, the, the, um, uh, cowboy cook minute type thing where we did recipes and stuff. And now we do, of course, we do some, a little bit of the cooking in the golf show. We do a lot of it in the barbecue show. I cook on television. So that's how it all kind of, it all kind of just melded together. No pun intended, but it, it did. And that's why I've been doing it for a long time. Okay. So you can't mention that you were in a movie or movies without plugging what oh, movie yeah. or movies were you in? Uh, I was in one called The Director, which never saw the light of day. And then another one that uh, you might recognize the name called The Postman with Kevin Cosner. I was one of the bad guys. And um, you wouldn't recognize me because I had very long hair and we were always dirty, um, intentionally so. And we were <laughs> kind of General Bethlehem's bad guys. and We'd kind of go, you know, burn villages and and uh steal from people and all that kind of stuff. So um uh Will Patton was General Bethlehem. So I worked on that movie for about nine weeks, I think. And uh it was good. It was fun. It was a very big learning experience. Um, very big. I was just, you know, eyes wide open in awe. And especially when you know, you walk around the corner and you walk right into Kevin Costner or Rex Lynn or Joe Santos or any of those guys. And they were all very nice, very friendly, very approachable and all that. So I thought, well, why can't I do this? So I did it. <laughs> there, you know, I, I never went to acting school. I never did any of that. I just did it. So there, uh, I don't know if that's a good answer, Chris, but that's really what happened. All right. So, Jeff, a couple more yeah. before I let you go. So I, I gotta get, I gotta understand. Do you get more satisfaction now by going out and playing a great round of golf or having a great rack of ribs or other meat turning out perfectly on the grill? Which makes me, which one makes you smile more? Boy, that's a tough one. Although I have more success on the grills than I do on the green. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, my cooking prowess is pretty good. I'm not being arrogant, but it is pretty good. But, you know, golf is always a work in progress, as you know, Chris. I mean, I'll go out and have a great round and think, man, that's like, you know, that's why I'm doing this. This is great. And then you go back a couple of days later or whenever and you play another round and you go, this is just terrible. This sucks. 
I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> but the ribs always turn out pretty much the same. So, you know, it's all good. So we're on I'll the heels cook, now. I'll have to cook for you some. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff, we're yeah, on the heels of Memorial Day weekend, but we've got the 4th of July coming up before too long. Another big grilling day. What's a common mistake mm-hmm. you see from we amateurs when we're, when you're, uh, when you're going over to a cookout at a friend's house that you, you look and you, you start to shake your head no and makes you want to, you know, all right, let me take over the grill. You're messing this thing up. <laughs> um, well, a couple of things, I think. Uh, they don't have the, the, I don't want to say the skills because everybody has the skills, but they don't utilize like digital thermometers and things. And they're guessing if the meat is actually done. Okay. I mean, it's pretty easy to tell if you're, if you're got, uh, corn on the cob or something like that cooking, you can pretty much tell when it's done. But, you know, if you're cooking a big rack of ribs or, uh, tri-tips or steaks, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's probably the biggest thing is that they don't, uh, know when it's done and that, and a lot of times they try to cook it too fast. And so, you know, bigger pieces of meat, bigger, thicker cuts are going to take a little longer. And without getting into a big diatribe here, you usually have a, a hot side of the grill and a cooler side of the grill. It's direct and indirect heat is what we call it. And they, and they don't utilize that properly. And so, you know, they get on there and they throw a steak on there and it, you know, they, they go, well, I just do these eight minutes aside or whatever their number is. And it's like, well, it doesn't always work that way because not every grill is the same, you know. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Um, the other thing, like with ribs, people tend to either not get them really done, uh, so they're 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 chewy. You know, what what do you hear, Chris? They say, oh, the meat just fell off the bone. Well, why the heck do you want to cook ribs if you want the meat to fall off the bone? That defeats the purpose, you know. You want to be able to bite into them and enjoy them like that, but you got that bone there for a reason. So um, <laughs> I, I think those are a couple of things that, that people, it doesn't take much. There's a gazillion YouTube videos on how to, how to do this stuff anymore. And, uh, you know, if you're not really sure, you know, hover in with your uh, lamp at midnight in front of your computer and, um uh, <laughs> You can watch a couple of those, and nobody will know you do it, and it will it will help you, you know, cook those things. So great advice. It's, it's yeah, it's pretty easy, really, but uh, it's just paying attention to it. And then the other thing that you see is um, people say, "Well, I want to make grill marks on my steak. They're pretty, but they don't do much. They don't mean anything, honestly. But they look pretty on the plate, people." kind of give you ooh and ah and oogle around on it. doesn't mean that the steak is cooked properly. It just looks pretty. So, um, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of, kind of pay attention to that too. Good digital thermometer for 20 bucks will save you a lot of grief. I'll just put it that way. Jeff, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with the great things you're doing? Follow you on social media and then listen to your shows. Social media, I finally got smart and, and hired a young man to take care of my social media stuff for us. Uh, 
man, I was way over my head in some of that stuff. I'm just being honest. But you can find us. Uh, you go Barbecue Nation. That's BBQ Nation. Um, our website for that show is bbqnationjt.com. That'll have the last show on it, but it's on all the platforms, you know, from Captivate to Apple to Pandora to Amazon to all those things. You can you can listen to the shows there, or you can go to thecowboycook.com. That usually will tell you kind of where I'm at. That one's actually got recipes on it. And then Grilling at the Green is um, grillingatthegreen.net. And if you just, like, get on Twitter and just in the little search box, Type in Grilling at the Green or BBQ Nation. It'll flip them up and show you what the actual little Tweety Bird symbol is for it there. And uh, it's pretty easy. But, we're yeah, we're out there. We're kind of worldwide. And then we have a slew of radio stations that that play, uh, well, both shows. But barbecue shows much bigger. And they're across the country. And we just signed not long ago with USA Radio Network. Um, they're kind of getting all their stuff together. so. Um, they'll be publishing probably in a month or so all the affiliate lists and things. So you can find us, find us pretty much everywhere, even if you don't want to. So, <laughs> Jeff, it's been great having you as part of the show, my friend. I can't thank you enough for coming out and, uh, and, and joining me tonight. I hope this is the, the first of many times that, uh, that you join me. You're fantastic. Oh. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. You're a great guy. I know that when you were on my on the Grilling at the Green show, people really enjoyed that episode. Um, and you're a terrific fellow. Uh, you really are. And to those listening, I'm not saying that just because Chris paid me, but I'm telling you, he's a really good guy. So it's I all good. That. Yeah, I appreciate that very much, all my right. friend. The same right back to you. Look forward to catching up with you again soon, Jeff. All right. You take care. Thank you, everybody. See you, Jeff. That's the great Jeff Tracy. Again, BBQ Nation, thecowboycook.com, grillingatthegreen.net, and you can follow him on Twitter, at CowCook57. You want to talk about great guys? That's a great guy. He's a lot of fun. He's very funny, and he's been uh, a wonderful supporter of the show, and I'm a wonderful supporter of his, because I think he does such a great job. He's very fun to listen to. He makes the the show so much fun. You, you laugh a lot. And uh, I think that's uh, one of the signs of a great show. So looking forward to having Jeff join me again here real soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Damon Hack, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Shrixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Shrixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Shrixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel. Shrixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Shrixon offers a wide variety of personalized options, while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Shrixon. Check them out online at Shrixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, 
and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is Golf Channel host Damon Hack. Let me remind you about his background. He's from L.A. He graduated from UCLA with his undergraduate degree in UC Berkeley with his master's degree in journalism. He started out covering the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. In 2000, he moved over to Newsday covering the New York Knicks in golf. In 2002, he joined the New York Times covering golf and the NFL. 2007, he joined Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL for them. In 2012, he joined the Golf Channel and is now by far one of the best hosts and interviewers in the business. You can see him hosting Golf Today each day on the Golf Channel. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Damon, how are you, my friend? 